The Zest Podcast is supported by WUSF members just like you. It's part of WUSF, and we are stronger together. Your donation of $5 or $10 supports The Zest and everything public radio brings to our communities. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. If you're going in thinking, oh man, I'm going to be the only you know, non-black person there, then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you're, you're going to miss out on so much that you could have experienced. I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm, we're all about food in Florida. From barbecue joints to an upscale food hall, a new documentary explores Tampa Bay's black-owned restaurants. Today, we bring you a conversation with the filmmaker. Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at seitenbacher.com. Alexandria Jones is a freelance food writer and often writes about food on her blog, The Frugalista Life. Alex set out on a mission last year to interview owners of a handful of black-owned eateries across Tampa Bay. She turned those interviews into a documentary film called A Soulful Taste, exploring Tampa Bay's black-owned food scene. The Zest producer Delia Cologne talked to Alex about what she'd discovered. What gave you this idea? Um, well, my boyfriend, really. Uh, usually when we go out of town, he likes to look up black-owned restaurants in whatever city we're going to. So earlier this year, before the coronavirus, <laughs> before all that, we went to Texas to visit my dad because he works for FEMA. And we went to a place in Houston, actually, called Cupcake Kitchen. Any city we go to, we have to try the Black-owned restaurants in that area. So I figured it's like, well, I know we have some here, so why not do a video about it? And I sat on the idea for a few months before actually, you know, doing it because I was nervous. But once I started doing it and actually putting it into action, I I don't know, I guess I was just amazed. Like, I did this, like, I, I created this video. This is crazy. It's amazing. It's such a good idea. I wish I thought of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which restaurants did you visit? I went to Cask, uh, 7th and Grove, Your Boys Barbecue, that's over in West Tampa, um, Holland Franklin, Main Course, and uh, Grant's Seafood over in Largo. What response did you get from the owners? Were they all on board immediately? Oh, definitely. Yeah, as soon as I introduced myself and told them what I was doing, they were like, yeah, sure you know, set up the interviews and 
it was on. Why do you think they were so eager to talk about their business? I think because nobody else has ever done a video like this in this area before. Because even before I actually started working on it, I, you know, did a Google search just to make sure. And as far as like most of the restaurants, like for example, Grant Seafood, I, I'd never heard of them, but they've been open for five years. So at least, you know, putting a name to the face and like putting them out there because they're like, their stuff is good. I had some of their, <laughs> I bought some of their seafood home after the interview and they have this stutter butter is like garlic butter oh my gosh it is so good oh stop it yeah and i think actually now you can as of right now you can actually like buy the kit to make it yourself oh that's mm-hmm. dangerous oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> what else did you eat because you basically ate your way through tampa bay what are some favorite meals let's see i got food from grant's um of course i got food from your boys barbecue a couple times main course i had it was like chicken waffles uh, like a little croissant breakfast sandwich the documentary is called a soulful taste and for a lot of people black food means soul food you know chicken and waffles macaroni and cheese collard greens cornbread but the two aren't synonymous black chefs can be many things as i learned when i interviewed the culinary scholar Tony Tipton Martin. So were there any foods or types of foods that people might be surprised to find at some of these Black-owned eateries? Yeah, I was talking about cask, and honestly, I don't consider cask like a soul food restaurant, like, at all. Like, yeah, they have the chicken and waffles and the macaroni and, and all that, but they also have seafood and tacos, Taco Tuesday and salads and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, it's Black-owned, but it's not, like... A menu full of black foods, per se. <laughs> you know what I'm okay. <laughs> Little something for everybody. Yeah. Little something for everybody. Oh, yeah. Now, now, tell me everything I need to know about the food. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I will say the food is very delicious and it will put you to sleep. Definitely. That's probably the best part. And it's like, it feels like, you know, your grandma's house or your aunt's house. It's like a family. Every restaurant is like a family. Your boy's barbecue is pretty much family owned. So while I'm interviewing the owner or like the co-owner, his mom is there, his sister, niece and nephew are there watching him do the interview. (laughs) And then, you know, 7th and Grove, like obviously they're pretty much family because they're like my peers and everything. Holland Franklin, main course, it's just all one big happy family and one of the things that everybody pretty much agreed on was collaboration so you know the restaurants can collaborate on just recipes or even events rather even down to barbecue sauce like they're all open to working together why do you think they're so willing to work together down to sharing barbecue sauce recipes because it's a community it's a community that doesn't necessarily like get a lot of a lot of shine um, as far as like in the media. And honestly, there's room for everybody. There's room for everybody to work together. And who knows what could happen? I can't even imagine like just the creations, like the food creations that could come out of, you know, of a partnership. What were some other themes that emerged? Were there challenges that 
the owners seem to face more than owners of mainstream restaurants may have faced? Were there opportunities? Obviously, you know, not necessarily getting the media attention. Like one restaurant owner told me that he would reach out to the news channels, be like, hey, so we're here, you know, come by, blah, blah, blah. And like they they wouldn't get a response. So, you know, stuff like that. Okay, so how many restaurants did you go to altogether for this documentary? Six. And what's your takeaway? You've crisscrossed Tampa Bay, spoken with some acclaimed Black restaurateurs, some under-the-radar, hole-in-the-wall places. How do you feel about the state of Black-owned restaurants in Tampa Bay after surveying the scene? They're here. You just have to look for them. But they're everywhere. I mean, there's so many... If you actually sit down and search and look, you'll find them. And same thing, it's it's all it's all family. It's a real community. It doesn't feel weird walking in, you know. You go in, they'll talk to you, you know. <laughs> you can sit and actually have like a full-on conversation with these owners. And actually I um I was working on another story for Creative Loafing about Black-owned restaurants during the pandemic and everything. And at one restaurant, I, I was talking to the to the restaurant manager for at least 20 minutes before I even spoke to the owner. And it feels less formal, which in turn feels more comfortable. It doesn't feel like it's business. It feels like I'm talking to an uncle. That's one of the one of my main takeaways. I like that. Now, I have to ask you, you're African-American, correct? Yes. And so am I. <laughs> so both of us would feel comfortable. You said it doesn't feel weird to walk in. What about people of other backgrounds who might hesitate? Oh, if I'm the only white guy at the soul food place, is that going to feel weird? Yeah, I think if you put it in your head that you're not going to be comfortable, then you're not. I mean, if you're going in under the guise of like, oh, this is some, you know, somewhere new that I'm trying, then you'll have a good time. But if you're going in thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be the only, you know, non-black person there, then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you're, you're going to miss out on so much that you could have experienced. Okay, last question. I keep hearing you talk about all this great food. So... If you had to construct your perfect meal, appetizer, drink, main course, dessert from all these restaurants that you visited, what would be the meal? Oh, man, that's going to be hard. Let's see. The appetizer would be the cornbread at 7th and Grove because A, it's soft and B, it has a, a hint of sweetness in it. I think they use honey in it. Oh, this is hard because I got so many places that do like awesome dishes okay my main course would be a slap of ribs sausage and barbecue chicken from your boy's barbecue and dessert uh it wasn't a place i interviewed but they're kind of like a mom and pop place too they're called augustine's cheesecakes i didn't interview them but yeah you should try their cheesecakes because they're tiny and they're awesome oh i love tiny desserts because it feels little bit less guilty. <laughs> is that a Black-owned... Uh, mm -hmm. Yep, it is. It's Black-owned. Let's see, the last time I bought the cheesecakes was actually maybe like last month, I believe. And we had... It was like a white chocolate raspberry 
was it banana pudding? I believe it was a banana pudding and there was one more, but I don't remember. Either way, her cheesecakes are awesome. How about a drink to wash it all down? A drink, a drink. Let's see, what would I drink? Where's, if you wanted to support a black owned business in Tampa Bay and just go out for a cocktail, where would you go? If I'm here, if I'm in Tampa, it would be, obviously it would be 7th and Grove, but across the bridge in St. Pete, there is Copa and it's owned by two brothers. They do wines and cocktails, actually wine-based cocktails. They're pretty popular. Oh, Alex, thank you so much. It was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. It was awesome talking to you, too. That was Dalia Cologne speaking with Alexandria Jones. You can watch Alex's half-hour documentary on YouTube. Search for A Soulful Taste, exploring Tampa Bay's Black-owned food scene. Well, lots of us have rediscovered the art of home cooking lately, and along with that, we've been reading a lot of recipes. Our correspondent, Janet Keeler, has some thoughts about that. There's a memorable scene in the acclaimed television series Schitt's Creek, Season 2, Episode 2, when Moira and David try to make enchiladas. The recipe calls for the cheese to be folded into the sauce. It is a hilarious moment in a hilarious show, when the two characters try to figure out what this means. Because they could read the word fold, but they had no idea how that pertained to making enchiladas. Next step is to fold in the cheese. What does that mean? What does fold in the cheese mean? He folds it in. I, I understand that, but how, how do you fold it? Do you fold it in half like a piece of paper and drop it in the pot, or what do you do? David, I cannot show you everything. Okay, well, can you show me one thing? You just, here's what you do. You just fold it in. Okay, I don't know how to fold broken cheese like that. And I don't know how to be any clearer. You take that thing that's in your hand, uh-huh. and you... If you say fold in one more time... It says fold it in! This disproves the theory, if you can read, you can cook. I always dislike that saying, because I think it devalues the skills and the expertise of the cook. You know, I can read how to perform heart surgery... But I would guess you wouldn't want me to do that on you or a loved one. At this time, when we're all inside figuring out what to cook for our families, heading for the pantry a lot more than we used to, I think some tips are in order to get the most out of the recipes that you have. Rather than that old adage, if you can read, you can cook, I like to think about the woodworkers saying, measure twice, cut once. To me, this means read the recipe twice before you start in. Here's some tips I have for you to get the most out of your recipes. Follow it exactly the first time, then start experimenting. Make sure that you know exactly how it's supposed to turn out before you begin with your substitution. When I use recipes that are online, I always read some of the reviews that are at the bottom. For instance, if 10 people say it's too salty, I back off the salt. The reviews, though, I really enjoy reading are the ones where the cook has substituted, oh, I don't know, five or six ingredients, changed all kinds of things about the instructions, and then complains because the recipe just isn't very good. I don't usually take that person's suggestions. But there's some things that you need to know beyond reading to make your food turn out good, to make those recipes do what you want them to do. For instance, substitutions. 
We like to do that, especially in this age of trying to cook with what we've got in the pantry. But will those things work for you? Do you know, for instance, that dried herbs are three times more pungent than fresh? There's a reason that you want to use the pan size that the recipe calls for. If you don't, you might end up with a big mess on the bottom of your oven. When the recipe doesn't specify egg size, use large. If you use ones that are bigger than that, you may end up with more liquid in your mix. When a recipe doesn't specify dark or light brown sugar, use light. Dark has about double the amount of molasses. And when you read something in a recipe that you don't understand, don't wing it. That is a recipe for disaster. At your fingertips you have the internet that has oodles and oodles of videos that show all sorts of cooking techniques. In fact, there's a dozen YouTube videos that would have showed David and Moira that folding is mixing ingredients gently rather than stirring them vigorously. This is usually employed to maintain volume. So no, folding and cooking is not quite like folding paper. That's the Zest correspondent, Janet Keeler. Next month, Janet interviews her husband, photographer Scott Keeler of the Tampa Bay Times, about how to shoot great food photos. It's really useful information for those of us who even occasionally want to post something on social media, so be sure to join us for that. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Colon and I produce The Zest with help from Cheyenne Jaglal and Mark Hayes. Copyright 2020, WUSF Public Media, University of South Florida. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.